Hello and welcome to another episode of Stroke FM. I'm Human Kostrovani, one of the stroke doctors in Toronto. Today we have a special episode with two special guests, resident colleagues, who are going to talk to us about what COVID has done to their lives, the, how it has impacted their education. And uh, this is part of our non medical series where we alternate between a medical topic and a non-medical topic and given that we have been living through this challenging time for the past few months we thought this would be a timely episode so welcome to uh, the show again guys i'm ryan i'm one of the fourth year neurology residents here in toronto thank you for having me and i'm an aspiring stroke neurologist and excited to uh, be involved in the next season of Stroke.fm. And I'm Jamie. I'm another uh, PGY1 resident uh, in Toronto. Exceedingly interested in stroke, but don't know where I'll end up. We'll see. <laughs> That's awesome. So we have a nice breadth bookending the years of residency, which is fantastic. We thought to uh, start off by talking about COVID by the numbers. What a what a crazy time it's been. Yeah, we saw quite a spike after the holiday season here in Ontario, hitting upwards of 4,000 cases a day. Thankfully, lately, though, we're down to 2,500 uh, each day, but our internal medicine units, ICUs are certainly inundated. And with that, so are our trainees. Yeah, and I, I think that uh, some of the most recent numbers that come out of Ontario, you know, around the 2,500 range, um, where we really did see that surge, as, as Ryan mentioned, and uh, it was kind of uh, surprising for us, but a sort of an expected second wave, uh, if you will. Um, and uh, luckily now it seems like things have kind of stabilized, if not plateaued a bit, uh, and hopefully we'll continue to see those numbers come down. It's it's too bad, though. Uh, I really feel like we're going to be playing catch-up for quite some time. Jamie, you probably know a lot about this. Um, a lot of the residents, especially the junior residents in neurology, are being redeployed now. Uh, uh, to um, COVID services and general internal medicine services, probably a lot of your colleagues. How's that been for you guys? Yeah, so so I, di I just got the email uh, like a few weeks ago. Um, it was kind of weird initially. Um, I remember a few months back we got uh, we we were hearing from our program director uh, that there was the chance that we could be re redeployed in later uh, rotations in, during our education. Um, and you know, at that time the numbers were quite low, so for us we were really we weren't really expecting this. And to be quite honest, we thought you know it's just a good backup plan, and you know I don't it, it likely won't happen. And that's kind of how we all talked about it. But now uh, that the numbers have kind of spiked and things have kind of changed. Um, it's becoming more an increasing reality. And so um, uh, I am, am facing redeployment myself, uh, going from, you know, a subspecialty medicine rotation to uh, a CTU uh, medicine. You know, in, in some ways, it's, it's, it, it feels familiar to me in that I, I've done a lot of CTU already. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of know what to expect on CTU. Um, but in some ways, I feel like it's it's uh, it does hurt because, uh, you know, I'm missing out on these other subspecialty trainings that uh, could be quite beneficial for a long term uh, career as a neurologist. Um, but, uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things that you, you roll with the punches a little bit. Um, and and I think that the, the way that they're trying to implement these systems is that I'm not missing the entirety of my rotation you know i'm maybe on ctu for a week on and then a week off back onto the regular scheduled rotation so i think the, the program is doing very good things in order to you know work around uh, this redeployment and and we're still finding ways to you know give that good service to these uh, uh, you know underserviced areas and and over uh, you know over capacity uh, areas while still not jeopardizing the you know the entirety of our education 
Absolutely. You know, these are our formative years where, you know, we're making decisions about what career we want to choose and what area of neurology we want to choose and having those electives available to us um, are paramount. And so I think, you know, our program learned a lot from the first wave, um, especially where we did face uh, closing outpatient clinics, uh, learned how to do care virtually and uh, unfortunately, this meant for a lot of last year's second, fourth and fifth year residents that two months of subspecialty clinic was canceled and everyone was um, placed on neurology service. And that's a huge uh, impact on training. The subspecialty rotation is the opportunity really to see every uh, area of neurology and help formulate what you want to do. You know, with the second wave now, our plan, our program has uh, really adapted and learned from the first wave's response, and now we'll be missing less if we have to of that subspecialty clinic rotation. So that's that's quite nice to see. Um, we have to preserve the subspecialty clinic rotation because actually, you know, many neurologists out there actually primarily practice in non-hospital settings, and it should be the you know the goal and objective of a training program to prepare us for that and so it's really good to see our shop um, pivot as they say um, to the pandemic and ensure that resident training is still being upheld those are all uh, fantastic points thank you both for that what about uh, virtual education how do you think that's been sort of going with regards to um, just your experiences whether it is half days or uh, clinics uh, what what has virtual care meant to you uh, and I think it'll be really interesting to get your perspective on that. Yeah, so I I, I can say that uh, along the point of what Ryan was talking about, a lot of these uh, uh, clinics um, that, you know, we often attend as, as PGY1s or as uh, upper year residents we'll attend, um, we often... Uh, uh, I, I'm seeing that a lot of these clinics are now transitioning towards becoming completely virtual. Um, and so instead of just completely shutting down the clinic for a while, hoping things kind of blow over, um, you know, a lot of these staff are making efforts to um, uh, to implement these virtual care appointments, either through, uh, you know, uh, already established uh, resources that we have or through uh, implementing their own systems. And so that's allowed a lot of residents to uh, attend these clinics Um uh, even though you may not be able to attend in person, uh, you can still kind of get some of that experience with the patient populations that are uh, that uh, frequent these clinics. Um, so it has presented some challenges in that, you know, uh, obviously a large part of neurology has to do with the face-to-face patient interaction and physical exam. Um, uh, but there have been a lot of really good resources put out by the program in order to supplement your education and to teach you how to do the exam as best as you can virtually and get the most out of this training, even though um, it's not the face-to-face, you know, typical uh, classic uh, interaction. Yeah, and, you know, we've been very creative and um, innovative in this vein. Uh, I think Dr. Kosravani and a number of other co-authors were involved in a recent paper uh, discussing the virtual neurologic exam and how to how to do that. Um, you know, one area of neurology that I think it's it's difficult to do virtual assessments is neuromuscular neurology. I just finished my six month block of uh, neuromuscular neurology, and um, I must say it's uh, it was 
great because it was all in person. And I had a couple sessions where I did virtual assessments and it's hard. It's very hard. You know, you really have to feel someone's strength. You have to see their reflexes. Um, you really have to get a sense of whether or not they really do have fasciculations. And so um, neurology is a very hands-on specialty and um, it, it makes it hard, virtual care, for sure. Those are uh, excellent points. And it was nice to see that, you know, you've kind of been able to balance a little bit of inpatient experience for fields in neurology where the learning, you know, really does happen to uh, come from in-person experience. Um, and, you know, it should be said that we do still bring in uh, folks to be seen in person where there's a lot of ambiguity, uh, just in case anybody's listening who happens to be, you know, a patient, that uh, the hospital continues to be safe and uh, a place that you can come to and be brought to, certainly for investigations uh, as they are needed. Um, so I think that's great. Uh, obviously, it's impacted things like community rotations. I think initially there was a major pause in the ability to go to community sites, uh, but academic centers have... Uh, been able to uh, plug on through. And um, we do want to take this time to highlight actually Ryan's work, uh, which was uh, published uh, talking about the experience in uh, Toronto and how everything got uh, shuffled, uh, including a generation of uh, different, uh, if you will, novel pathways for call and rotations. Uh, and we'll put that in the show notes. I think that's a, that's a very interesting and a timely paper. So congrats on getting that out. What about uh, conferences and international uh, collaborations? Have you seen, can you comment sort of on the ability to attend uh, learning sessions virtually and how that's kind of impacted you guys? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been a change. Um, you know, the AAN this year will probably be run virtual again. Recently, I was part of a young stroke um, career mentorship um, course that was run on a Friday and Saturday. And it, it was it was very well done. I got a lot out of it, actually, more than I you know thought that I would. Um, so I, I think we're learning that a lot of our previous collaborations internationally maybe can be done virtually and it kind of makes sense you know how much how much cost do we as a profession incur for international travel um, and what can be done virtually and you know that actually you know brings a, a really important uh, point to um, efficient use of funds may perhaps this allows us in future to save our costs and allocate them towards other other uh, resources or other areas of research. I've enjoyed it, but you know, at the same time, you know, there's nothing like flying to Los Angeles or uh, you know, another area in California for the annual AAN and getting a sense of the culture and the people and actually meeting people face to face. Nothing could ever replace that. So for the time being, it's okay, but um, I long for the days where we can be in person again to, uh, to be in conferences and discuss each other's research and debate. That's the best part. Yeah, I was going to say that uh, it seems like at the beginning of the pandemic, when everything was transitioning over to Zoom and, uh, you know, other video conferencing platforms, it was always a, everyone thought this is great. You know, I don't have to, you know, I could just roll out of bed and hop on Zoom and be in the meeting that I'm supposed to be at instead of, you know, having to commute half an hour and then and then get to a meeting. But I think 
Yeah, it's it's been it's gotten to that point where uh, it's been long enough. And I think that we're all feeling the same way. We're all we just you know, we want to be around other people, uh, you know, humans being social creatures. We kind of miss that face to face interaction with each other. Um, and, and it just feels like there's there's just a difference uh, when you're around people than when you're over Zoom. Um, definitely less uh, awkward um, when, uh, you know, questions are thrown out to the audience and there's a group of people in front of you. Usually someone's going to answer. But with Zoom, <laughs> it's a it's a lot more varied variable I find so um, I think that the that the the conferences themselves you know it's I think it's it's the best they can do and they're and they're doing everything they can right now um, hopefully we have a, we get to a point in the future where uh, you know in-person conferences can become a, a thing again and Jamie you bring up a really good point about just being in person and you know our community of neurology residents here at the University of Toronto it's a different place now that we no longer meet up every Friday morning for academic half day, share coffee, share stories in between lectures. It's, it's a different experience. Absolutely. So uh, the sense of community is, has changed a little bit. Um, but you know, there are virtual ways to hang out. Um, I recently played uh, a virtual Settlers of Catan this past weekend with uh, our PGY4 group, and uh, it was actually pretty good. I, I was surprised. Not like real Settlers of Catan in person, but hey, it was it, it made it pretty good. It, it's been a very different, I think, experience, especially as the you know the incoming PGY ones, and that um, I think we came into the pandemic like this, and so uh, we haven't had a real academic half day in person. Uh, I know that there's tons uh, in the there's there's still people in the program I haven't even met yet. Um, and I've only known virtually and I haven't uh, seen face to face unless I've seen some of them uh, around the hospitals or on different rotations. So it's it's been uh, it, it's been a very uh, different experience. And I think that, you know, it's one of those things, again, where I just long for the day where we can have a half day in person. I don't you know, I don't even care if I have to wake up uh, early to get to the to the hospital to, to, to commute there, because I just I really just want to see everyone. I want to meet everyone. Uh, and uh, and I think that 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 community that you that you talked about is, is so important uh especially in uh, especially in in pandemic times where it can be very lonely um and and you feel isolated from everyone those are all excellent points i think it's probably going to oscillate around yeah people thought these types of virtual meetings would then replace inpatient like in-person excuse me interactions but what's probably going to happen is yeah people are going to want to travel and get together in conferences and meet each other once again and then it's going to oscillate in some capacity to utilizing virtual technologies for example if you're in a large center like ours where you are distributed across sites um, sometimes we have to run across the city to make meetings and I think this has really made uh, that ability better. But I think, yeah, going to things like American Academy of Neurology uh, and those types of meetings, I think people are going to have a longing to get back together uh, and travel and see each other. Um, I want you guys to maybe touch upon uh, quickly about sort of uh, two other important topics, which is, uh, you know, obviously it's impacted sort of vacation time um, and uh, kind of how residents have been coping with that. Yeah, it certainly has changed what vacation means. You know, vacation now is a st- more of a staycation, and that's now the norm. Um, but, you know, thankfully being in Toronto, there, you know, there's a lot of things that can be done. Mostly, you know, many places that Uber Eats can, you know, go to and bring to my place. And um, last night I tried ordering from three different places at the same time, and they all arrived at the same time. So we had food from three different restaurants um, in Toronto, and it was great. So, you know, it's it's about being creative with um, with your environment and uh, I 
personally, I've taken up more cooking, uh, baking bread, and last weekend I made dumplings by hand, and that was a, a learning curve. But that's just what you do, I, I suppose, and um, when you when you're stuck at home, and that's that's that. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, I felt almost like a sense of, uh, it's almost like a little bit of a disappointment in that you know I had these plans that I was gonna go uh, somewhere uh, on my vacation and uh, get away somewhere warm. Um, but it's, it's one of those things where you just, you really just, like Ryan said, you make do, uh, with what you got. And, you know, I think the important thing is that you still use your vacation. You still take that time off because it is hard being on service for so many, you know, weeks straight and it it is tiring and it's draining and it's a huge contribution to burnout, especially in the pandemic times, um, where we can, we can see that burnout is like probably its highest it's ever been for, uh, medicine staff and, and nursing and, and basically all healthcare staff. So I think that, yeah, this vacation time is really important. Finding hobbies you can do at home, connecting virtually with my, your friends. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm playing video games with my buddies online as well. And uh, it's, it's just trying to, trying to make do in the, in the time you have off. And, you know, wellness goes a long way when you're on service. You know, high-performing teams rely on healthy uh, persons. And taking that time for yourself is so important during this time it's so it's very stressful especially the uncertainty um, not knowing uh, when things will get better if they will get better if you will contract the virus Uh, there's so much uncertainty and stress and so taking that time for yourself um, even if you can't travel elsewhere is really important to uh, making it through this uh, marathon that COVID is becoming I think those were all really excellent points. I, I like the fact that, you know, we haven't tried to really sugarcoat things. And at the same time, uh, we have said that, you know, there are uh, strategies to deal with things and it's okay to modify life and it's okay to take vacations, even if there are staycations. I think that's really important. And uh, your point, Ryan, about high performing teams and all the medicine we know, all the techniques we have at our finger uh, fingers and, uh, you know, our, our thoughts and our uh, Uh, cognition is only as good as the people working together as a good team to be able to deliver that and so if we don't if we don't communicate if we don't take personal time if we don't debrief um, if we don't take time to revamp how we do things all of those things can uh, obviously uh, uh, over such a challenging period that is lasting obviously several months uh, it's going to obviously go over a year it, it has already sort of done that uh, it, those are so important for for actually practicing wellness rather than talking about it so i'm really kudos to you guys for mentioning that uh, i think this was a great segue to talk about uh vaccination and how that's kind of impacted residents what you've noticed the good the bad uh but also just sort of how how you felt uh getting the vaccine yeah the vaccine has been a, a really um a hot topic obviously now that uh, it's available and the uh, and multiple companies are uh, making the vaccine available right now uh, predominantly the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines um, and uh, it's it's implementation in Canada um, has been you know it's ha- like every uh, new program and every vaccination program it's had its growing pains um, but for the most part uh, I have to say that I've been very uh, happy with the results that we've had in Toronto especially um, with uh, with regard 
regards to the vaccinations and 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 making them available to the correct healthcare staff. And I feel like almost everybody I know has had the vaccine uh, either made available to them or they have an appointment for it. Um, and so uh, it's it's been I think it's been done fairly well given what we have. Um, and I I can say for myself I've I've had both doses of the vaccine, um, and and I'm, I'm extremely grateful for that. And I feel um, absolutely appreciative of the systems that have allowed me to to get those vaccines. Um, and I just look forward to when uh, you know eventually when we can have public rollout, um, and then we can start to see maybe a glimmer of hope in this uh, uh, in this uh, pandemic. Totally on board with you there, Jamie. You know when I first heard of the vaccine in the fall, late fall. Um, it was the first time in a long time that I think myself and many others felt hope that there was maybe an end in sight. And now that it's here, I've had one of my two doses. I'm scheduled for my next in a couple of weeks. It's It feels good to, to know that the frontline staff are going to be protected and soon the public too. And um, like you said, a lot of people have been vaccinated and tolerating it very well. Uh, very few side effects. It's safe. And, you know, taking a step back, it's pretty phenomenal that this new virus in in less than a year, we've, as a human species, have created this vaccine as an international effort. And it's amazing what we're capable of when we all work together. And although it's a year of research, intense research that went into this, this vaccine was only produced so fast because of hundreds of years of progress of science and our understanding of, of vaccines. And so this vaccine is really the, the best chance I think we have in controlling the virus. The mutants obviously pose a, a challenge, but I think the vaccines will help protect against some strains and some evidence is suggesting that. And I've been so impressed by Toronto's rollout here, and I really sleep better at night knowing that I'm not just protecting myself, but my family as well. I really want to thank you guys for this uh, wonderful uh, conversation and insight into how life has been for uh, resident doctors and resident physicians during the time of the pandemic. Thanks a lot for having me again on the program. I'm really happy to be here. Uh, really happy to talk uh, with you guys. Uh, looking forward to the further episodes in the future. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Kosarvani. This was a great chat. Jamie, nice uh, chatting with you too about our mutual experiences with COVID and how it's impacted us. And uh, looking forward to future episodes of Stroke.fm. I think it's, uh, it's been uh, truly uh, wonderful to have you here. And we look forward to an ongoing series where we uh, alternate between medical uh, and uh, sort of non-technical skills. And I think this was uh, fantastic. So thank you for joining us and uh, see you next time on Stroke FM. This is Jamie Kazes signing off. This is Ryan signing off. Bye-bye. <laughs>